This morning we'll be looking at John 13, the first 17 verses. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Please hear the word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Without a doubt, the most radical And from our perspective, the most difficult change for a believer after conversion is losing that me-first attitude that we're born with and that so dominates our thinking and our desires. Me first. What's best for me? What do I deserve? We have a recurring ritual in our house, often... After supper, if we don't have meetings or something else, we have an evening to just relax at home. A lot of times, the three of us in my family will recline to the living room or uh, retire to the living room and literally recline at times. And we will typically read, surf the internet, watch TV. But probably about an hour into the evening, usually, another ritual starts, and it involves our two dogs. We have a almost 15-year-old dog and then a two-year-old dog. And they get hungry because nobody has fed them after supper. And so my older dog, the one who's almost 15, he's very, very polite. So what he'll do is he'll walk over and stand right next to you and kind of face-to-face with you and start to pant heavily. 
I don't know if you've ever smelled the breath of a 15-year-old dog, but it's not one of the more pleasant odors on the planet. And if he keeps it up long enough, you'll tell him to go away, you tell him to go away, he keeps it up, he'll wear you down, and finally you'll go and feed him. He knows that. My smaller dog has fewer social graces, so Dash, what he'll do is he'll whine, whimper with those big eyes, look at you sadly, and whimper at your feet for a while, but if you ignore him too long, he'll jump up on your lap, and if you ignore him on your lap, he'll put his paws up on your chest, and nose to nose, he'll begin to lick your nose, and that means I've waited long enough, now it's the time to feed me. Well, what's also very common in that whole ritual with our dogs is that there's, and I'm sure if anybody were observing us from the outside, it would be pretty hilarious because it's amazing to what lengths the three of us will go to to ignore the signals from our dogs that it's time to be fed. Because if you acknowledge them, matter of fact, if you say too loudly, go away, then the other two will know that you're aware that they're asking to be fed and that, you know, it's your job to go feed them. Well, that's just a very small and trivial example of that me-first mentality that plagues us every day of our lives as sinners in this fallen world. How do we get out of that? How do we become delivered from that? How do we stop thinking that way about every choice that we make in life, every opportunity that we face? How do we begin to put others first? I've often thought that if I ever were to be a part, I won't be in this side of eternity, but if I ever were to be a part of a completely 100% sanctified church, it would have a lot of implications for how we live life together, but one thing I do know is that we would have to delay the worship services because we'd have a group of people out congregated at the front door, everyone saying, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first, and we wouldn't be able to get them in on time. That's the kind of others first mentality that Christ-likeness should produce within us. When we look at John 13, and this is a very familiar passage, a lot of time we look at it as an example of Jesus saying to here, I'm going to do something that's going to, in a striking way, teach you the lesson that you need to go out and serve other people. You need to go out and wash other people's feet. You need to go out and put others first in your life. But I think if you jump to that application, you're missing actually the most important point of what he does here, and that's what I'd like for you to see this morning. This is a, 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 an account, a teaching, a lesson from Jesus Christ to his disciples about how he expects them to treat each other. But that's not the primary lesson that he's giving here. And that's what I'm hoping that you'll see as we work through it this morning. This is a lesson, yes, in gospel-driven servanthood, but what I'd like you to see more than that is what's the source of that? How do we, it can be so frustrating to just jump to that application because if I just say to you, you need to put others first, you need to go out and serve other people, you need to be willing to lay down your life for other people, but if I don't point you to the source of how your heart is going to be transformed into that kind of thinking, it's only going to either frustrate you or it's going to turn you into a legalist, one or the other. So let's look at the passage. In this passage, Jesus, I've said, as we move into this section of the God, John's Gospel, we're into the last week of Christ's life, and he has pulled his 12 disciples aside. He is not out there teaching the public and doing miracles anymore out there among the public. He is focusing his training, his effort, his last words in his ministry upon his 12 disciples. And here's where it begins with this lesson. We believe that they've gathered here for the Last Supper. And they're in the upper room. 
Preparations have been made. And as the 12 disciples have walked into the room, they've had to walk by something that would be at the door of every home, uh, something that was there for the guests. It would be an empty basin, a jug of water, and some towels. That would be sitting beside the door of every home for hospitality's sake. Because it was expected that if you went to visit a Jewish home, that because you've been out there as a typical first century Jewish person, you've been out there walking around in sandals on the dirty, dusty roads. They didn't have pavement. They didn't have sidewalks back then. So you've got dirty, muddy feet. And when you come into the house, it would be expected that the host would provide for you to have your feet washed. And as we've said before, back when we talked about the women who washed Jesus' feet with their hair and their tears and the oil, we talked about how what an issue this was, that this was really the most despised chore in any household. And this was the chore that was to be performed by not just a servant, never done by a family member, but by a servant, and not only by a servant, but the servant who was at the lowest level on the totem pole because it was the most despised job. Even if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture these days, you know that the bottoms of a person's feet are a symbol of, of disgrace, really, in, in Middle Eastern cultures. We had to learn that we made a trip to the Middle East just once, and we were told, don't ever sit like we Americans do with your legs crossed so that the sole of your feet is facing other people, because that's considered not just an insult to them, but one of the most derogatory insults, one of the most... Uh, shameful statements you can make against somebody is to show them the bottom of your feet. Or maybe you've seen some of those press conferences. I've seen a few of this happen a few times in the Middle East where somebody will disagree with the speaker and they'll throw their shoe at them. And that, that's a way, that, that's the biggest insult that you could make against somebody is to, to do that. So, you, so me, Middle Eastern culture hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years. And so this was a despised task. That's all I want you to understand. This was a deeply despised task in any household, but a necessary one for anybody who did hospitality. Well, as you imagine, you can imagine, just like my family in the living room trying to avoid feeding the dogs, you had the same thing going on among the disciples. I can imagine when they came in the room and saw the basin and the water and the towels, they kind of gave it a wide berth and kind of headed to the other side of the room and kind of kept their back to it so that nobody would say, oh, yeah, you're looking at that, you're aware you should be offering to do that, because there weren't any servants at the Last Supper. It was only Jesus and his 12 disciples. Somebody needed to step up and do it. Well, before we talk about Jesus, the Lord of all, the creator of the universe, the second person of the Godhead, before we talk about him actually doing it, I want you to notice what John tells us. John gives us a little bit of insight into what Jesus' mindset is, what he's thinking at this point. And first of all, he mentions how much he loves these disciples. That's interesting. The very first thing is he says at the end of verse 1, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then the second thing that John tells us that Jesus was thinking about at this moment was where he had come from, where he was going, and where he was going to end up. That he had come from the throne at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and eternity past. That he had come, he had left the perfection, the glory, the the majesty, the beauty of heaven, and had added to his divine nature a human nature, had been born of a woman, had become 
a man in this fallen, dirty, dark, very disturbing world that we live in. And then not only that, but that he was going to go to the cross to experience the ultimate rejection and to face the greatest enemy, death itself. And not only death itself, but the death that you and I deserve, the eternal death of God's wrath and punishment upon our sins. And that having accomplished that, he would be raised from the dead, ascend to the right hand of the Father, and return to his position in glory. In just a couple of verses, John summarizes that that's all in Jesus' mind as he's watching his disciples refusing to wash one another's feet. He's loving them, and he's thinking about the journey that he has taken upon at the, by the Father's will to save his, these very disciples. Now, before I go any further, I want to point out here, as we talked about this being an example of service, what we're about to talk about Jesus doing, I just want to make sure you understand this isn't just an example of how we're to live. This isn't just a pattern. This isn't just a step-by-step practical guide to how to be a servant. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Because if that's all that this passage, if we get to the end of the passage and that's the bottom line and that's the application, then we haven't told you anything here that you wouldn't hear in a Hindu service or a Muslim service or a humanist gathering or a you know political gathering. You're going to hear this everywhere. Matter of fact, I've got a quote for you from Gandhi. Listen to this quote from Gandhi. Gandhi said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That sounds a lot like what Jesus said. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. If you want to lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If that's really as far as this message goes, then Jesus isn't saying or doing anything that Gandhi wouldn't have done or taught. I just want you to keep that in mind because as we look at this example, there's something dramatically, matter of fact, crucially, very importantly different about the lesson that Jesus teaches here that is unique to him, unique to Christianity, and it's the only hope for you to ever stop being a me-first person and become an other-centered person. Jesus, thinking about all this, and thinking about how much he loves his disciples, he gets up, he takes off what the English calls here his outer garments, which means he's left basically with a loincloth, and then he takes the towel that was sitting with the basin, and he wraps it around his waist so that he can use it after he's washed the feet of his disciples to dry them. And he proceeds to kneel down before these disciples take their dirty, smelly, yucky feet and wash them carefully and dry them. One more thing that you need to realize to understand the incredible thing that Jesus is doing here is that he knew the hearts of the disciples. Matter of fact, he not only knew their hearts, he had heard their conversation. And Luke's account of this incident actually gives a conversation that took place among the disciples. Listen to it here. This happened while they were all standing around trying to avoid washing each other's feet. This is what Luke tells us. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. 
And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You see, the disciples were still thinking like any fallen sinner. Will I get what I deserve in the kingdom? Will I get my share? Am I going to be recognized for what I've accomplished? And that's the mentality that the world beats into you day in and day out. You deserve better. You deserve better than your income. You deserve better than your house. You deserve better than the kids you're stuck with. You deserve better than the spouse that you're stuck with. You deserve so much. That's what you hear all day long. And that's how the disciples were thinking. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. And that's what he begins to show. But that you, the service that he renders, you need to notice first and foremost that it's a unique service that he, that he points them to initially. A unique service of Christ. In Matthew 20, 28, he told his disciples, he had told them this earlier, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this brings out a crucial truth to the Christian gospel, is that we cannot serve God until Christ serves us. We cannot serve God until Christ first serves us. And it's interesting that that is what Jesus points these disciples to first. He will get to the implications for how they live their lives, but he needs, they need to understand that they need to accept his cleansing. And he brings this out. It's interesting. I'm sure that every disciple was extremely uncomfortable with what Jesus was doing. I can't even imagine how uncomfortable they were. This is their Lord, their teacher. He's the Messiah. They understood that much. And here he was washing their feet. But of course, it's Peter is the one who speaks up, being the outspoken, gregarious guy that he was. He, spe- he speaks up and he says, Lord, what are you doing washing my feet? This is so inappropriate. That's really what his reaction is. And so Jesus says, Peter, you cannot understand. Now, it's interesting. He says, you can't understand what I'm doing. Which means that this simple idea is you should go out and serve other people and wash their feet. That's obviously not the main lesson that Jesus is trying to get across because Peter got that probably. But he says, you don't really understand what I'm doing, but you will. None of them understood what the cross was all about. So he's saying, just take it on faith that what I'm doing has a deep spiritual importance to it. And Peter amazingly responds to that by saying, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Now, I am absolutely certain that Peter thought he was being very humble in that moment. He thought that he was saying the right thing, and he was being a leader among the disciples and saying probably what a lot of them were thinking, you know, this is so inappropriate, it should never happen. He thought he was being humble. He's he's sitting there thinking, Lord, I should be washing your feet. I I blew it, I know, I waited too long, I I was trying to get somebody else to do it. I should be washing your feet, Lord. I should be serving you. 
Matter of fact, we know that Peter had earlier said, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And what Peter didn't realize, and I think we don't often realize, is that that is really spiritual pride. It's spiritual pride that Peter thought that he could serve the Lord instead of the Lord serving him in terms of what Jesus was really pointing toward. Peter was still thinking like a Pharisee or a pagan. In other words, my religion, my philosophy, my ethic, my way of life is about what I do for the God that I serve. It's about my faithfulness. It's about my loyalty. It's about my rituals, my efforts. And Peter was missing the spiritual lesson behind what Jesus was really saying. Peter needed to learn that he had nothing to offer to Christ. Christ didn't need anything from him. And so Jesus answers Peter and says, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You see, Jesus says, I'm primarily talking about a washing of the feet, a washing of the soul that you can't do, Peter. You can't do it for yourself, let alone do it for anyone else. I am offering you a cleansing, a washing, an opportunity to be clean in the sight of God. And Peter, in order to receive that gift from Christ, had to be willing to give his dirty, stinking feet to Jesus to allow them to be washed. And just think about it. If Peter had been unwilling, as he was in this moment, he continued to be unwilling to allow Christ to humiliate himself even in just that small way of dressing like a servant and washing his dirty feet. If Peter was unwilling to receive that humiliating service from Jesus Christ, how much more would he have been later unwilling to receive the ultimate humiliation of Christ when he allowed himself to be beaten and hung on the cross and bear the wrath wrath against his sins in that death on the cross? If Peter wasn't willing to accept this humiliation, he certainly wouldn't have been willing to accept the far greater one. You see, before we can serve Christ, he must serve us. John Piper says it this way. He says, we do not glorify God by providing for his needs, but by praying that he would provide for ours, trusting him to answer. We must beware of serving God, and we must take special care to let him serve us, lest we rob him of his glory. Now, of course, Piper's not saying that we don't serve God in a secondary way, and we'll get to that in a moment. But he's saying that to to have a relationship with God, you must allow Christ to wash you. And in order to allow Christ, the Lord of the universe, to make you clean, you need to acknowledge you've got nothing. You have nothing to offer except your guilt, your dirty feet, your dirty soul. Now, it's interesting in verse 9, look at how Peter responds. He says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. He, I love his exuberance. You know, he, he, he does not understand what Jesus is saying. He really doesn't get it. But he's saying, hey, Lord, whatever it is you're offering, give me, you know, go the whole way. Give it to my whole body. Give it to me 100%. And Jesus says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. 
You see, Peter had already confessed faith in Christ. He'd already entrusted his life to Christ. He was already his disciple. And he said, by faith, you have already been made clean. Even though Christ's death on the cross has yet to happen, still his faith in Christ as his Redeemer, as his Messiah, had already made him clean before God. That word you there, you are clean, the word you is plural, so he wasn't just speaking to Peter, he's speaking to all the disciples except one. And John points out the one who had not put his faith in Christ, Judas, who was about to be lost. You see, I just want you to make sure that you see the gospel in this story. Because if you only see it as Christ teaching us as his disciples to go out and serve other people, you're missing the fuel for service. You're missing the source for the other-centered love that real service needs. You can't truly serve other people if you're serving in the flesh because that is like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God because it's totally corrupted by your sin. Christ must take your sin away. Christ must take your guilt away. Christ must make you clean through his atoning work on the cross. Then he begins to transform you from within so that you are able to go out and truly serve and sacrifice others. And not only do it, not only have the strength to do it, but have the heart to do it. To really want to put the needs of other people first. And that brings us to his last instruction. In that last section, he basically says, okay, now you go and serve others. Go and wash one another's feet in light of what I have done for you. He says in verses 14 and 15, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What we're talking about here is gospel-centered, gospel-driven service to the needs of your brothers and sisters, which is entirely different than what the world talks about, entirely different than what government talks about, entirely different from what false religions and cults talk about. We're talking about gospel-driven love that comes from a heart, a born-again heart that has been made new, that's a new creature in Christ, that now has the desire to put the needs of others first. And it's a response to the cleansing grace that Christ has given to us. So what does it mean to wash one another's feet? Well, we tend to want to jump quickly to physical ministry because you think of washing the feet, you think of actual literal physical ministry to our brothers and sisters. But again, don't step too quickly away from the spiritual message that Jesus is making here because the first message is about forgiveness. To wash one another's feet is to forgive one another. That's the the first and primary reference here. It's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 when he says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgives you. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the uh, man who had uh, who had a, owed a great debt, a million dollar debt, and he was brought before his debtor, the per, the person who had made the the loan to him, and he says, "I can't, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll do everything I can to repay you this million dollar debt." And the man says, "I forgive you that debt. You don't have to repay me. I'm going to wipe it off the books." And then that man goes out and finds a friend who owed him a few dollars and he grabs him around the neck and 
says, repay me. And when he says, I'll try, I'll do what I can, but, you know, give me time. And he says, no, and he puts him in jail. So they can't repay the debt. And we hear that story and we think, who would do that? Who would be so hardened that we would be forgiven a million dollar debt and then you'd go out and refuse to forgive a debt of a few dollars from a friend? You do it every day. You do it every day that you withhold forgiveness from someone who has offended you. But Christ has changed us. He's given us a new heart. He's shown us another way. And so when he says, I have made you clean, I have forgiven you of all of that bitterness, of all that resentment, of all that unforgiveness. I have forgiven you. Now go out and forgive others. Wash one another's feet. Secondly, washing one another's feet means accepting one another completely as though you're all clean. Accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because you're all forgiven. And you're all here on the same basis. You didn't get here by merit. You got here because the, the invitation into the kingdom of God only requires one thing, that you be forgiven and that you wear the robe of righteousness which is given to you by Christ. And if you put your faith in Christ, you have both those things. You are washed clean and you are given the robe of Christ's righteousness. And that's the only basis of your acceptance in this place, in this fellowship, in this body of believers. And so to wash one another's feet means to accept one another totally unconditionally. And then thirdly, begin the process, the lifelong process of being transformed from a me first person into an others first person because that's what the promise of the Holy Spirit is. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Tom read earlier what the fruit of the Spirit are. You know, peace, loving kindness, patience. All these things are the work of the Spirit in us, turning us from me first people into other first people. I want to take a moment. If you, you may have picked up on this already, but I am sure that when Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, he was thinking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Because if you'll notice the spiritual parallels very clearly, let me read it to you just quickly here from Philippians chapter 2. Notice that he starts out by telling us to love one another, accept one another, be unified in Christ, and to forgive one another, and to serve one another's needs. Notice he starts out by that, but notice how he concludes the passage. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. You see, that's gospel-based servanthood. Washing one another's feet because of what Christ has done for us. Empowered by what Christ has done for us. That's why down in, we're going to see this in a couple weeks, but down in verse 34, Jesus is going to say a curious thing. 
He's going to say to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. That's an odd thing for Jesus to say because love one another goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. There's nothing new about that command among the people of God. Matter of fact, it's not even all that unique to the people of God. There's lots of religions that will teach you to love one another. But it's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about that is radically different, the kind of love that he has just displayed, the kind of love that he would display ultimately at the cross because he says, he goes on in that verse 34 to say, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. It's the gospel that makes that love different. The gospel of Jesus dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. Love is finding your joy and satisfaction in putting others first. That's what gospel-driven love is. It's finding your joy and satisfaction in putting the needs of others before your own. And only the Spirit of Christ with the gospel of Christ, can produce that kind of change in you. That's the way out of me first living. Christ must serve you first by making you clean, by changing you from within, giving you his Holy Spirit. Then you begin more and more, step by step, over the course of your life, by his grace, to learn what it means to love as he loves, to forgive as he forgives, to put others first. So let's go to the Lord's table and let him serve us with his grace. Let's pray. Father, we are still such selfish servants. You have brought us a long way by grace, but we still have so far to go. Lord, we sit under the authority of your word and we come to the table to commune with our Lord so that we might be strengthened, so that we might be changed, so that we might be enabled to love as Christ loved, to forgive as Christ forgives, and to serve others as he has served us. Strengthen us with the presence of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.